Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hey folks, Dave Harvey here, and this is the Am I Called podcast, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, jumping into this discussion today is Stephen L. Trogi. Um, Stephen is actually starting another podcast. Stephen, I wish we, we could plant churches as quickly as you start podcasts. So You, <laughs> you wouldn't you, want that because they'd fail just as quick. Uh, okay, so you just started a new one, right? Uh-huh. What's the podcast called? It's called Only the Good Stuff. It's uh, I, I've been interviewing different people only about things they enjoy as a way of spreading just joy and gladness in the world and enjoying God's gifts. Excellent. And so if somebody wants to hear that, where do they go? Just go on to iTunes, search Altrogi or Only the Good Stuff. Altrogi, the podcasting beast. Well, folks, if you're, uh, if you're still with us, check that out. And, uh, and also, I wanted to make a couple of requests before I introduce our guest today. And that's requests related to Am I Called? Um, so we just went through a total overhaul of the Am I Called website. The, the boys from Relative Creative in Owensboro just did a great job of, of upgrading the site. The, the free assessment is expanded. The graphic uh, results just look great. They're really clear. And we've also added an online course for leadership development. It's called the Next Steps course. So if you're listening and you're you're wondering what the next steps for leadership might be or what next steps in a path towards ministry might look like, this material might might help you out. So check it out. And if it serves you, that's great. And if not, maybe you could enjoy something else on the site. Okay, so all of that is important, but no, not nearly as consequential as today's guest and today's topic, because joining us today is Paul Miller. Uh, many people know Paul because he's the author of a of a great book on prayer called A Praying Life, probably one of the finest books on on prayer out there, at least from a living author. But Paul is also the executive director of See Jesus. See Jesus is a global discipleship ministry. It exists to help folks. Well, it says it in the name to see Jesus more clearly. And I'll let Paul talk about that if you'd like to. But I've invited Paul on today to talk about one of his latest books, which is called A Loving Life. And this book is about the life of Ruth and Naomi and and the topic of love. But we're going to talk about the topic of love as it relates to leadership. So that's a lot of words. Let me get to the point, Paul. It's great to have you with us this afternoon. Thank you, Dave and Steve. It's great to be with you guys. Paul, Kim and I went through your book together last year, um, A Loving Life, and, and it it became like a, a festival of, of sweet repentance as we grappled with biblical love as, as you're exploring it and describing it and all of the ways that we don't practice it. So let me just ask you, like, what... What was going on in your life and in your mind that provoked you to write that book? Uh, there were two things. The immediate uh, story was our son, one of our uh, six children, uh, had a had a, uh, uh, a a child, uh, Benjamin, that they lost when 
John's wife, Pam, was six months pregnant. I mean, uh, sorry, eight months pregnant. And so, you know, it just it was just a grief to all of us. And we were vacationing together. So I, I asked them if I could uh, do a, a gift of an a interactive Bible study, which I love to write as a kind of a precursor for a possible book, uh, ju- just on uh, the book of Ruth. Because it just it's, it's, it's a book on, golly, it's a book on what they were going through. And the other backstory, uh, which was the deeper one probably, uh, uh, was just that God had taken me through uh, a lot of uh, uh, suffering in different ways. Uh, particularly in ministry, uh, and uh, that 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 was for me anyway harder than the suffering of a daughter with disabilities, and I I it just in, it's one of the it's, I, I I keep it in a thorn in the flesh category, so it, it's something like I, I I give as much information about that suffering as Paul did about his thorn in the flesh, but. It, it, it was long and and di- difficult enough that that I I the the book of Ruth I would read once a year and and uh, it started to be overly dramatic but I really would I it was hard for me to the book without it was hard for me to read the book without tearing up because hmm. uh, because I really I lived I lived Ruth's life again and again so um, so enduring in love was and that's probably the, the 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 heart of the book you know how do you endure in the activity of love um is is uh, one way of looking at what the book is about when you talk about suffering in leadership paul i think that uh th- that's a topic that is immediately going to pique the curiosity of our of our listeners because i think everybody can identify with that in some way so I, I'm interested. Are are there things a general um, a general picture that you can give us that would describe the kind of suffering that you're talking about in ministry? I uh, so what what are I mean I do tell a few anecdotes throughout the book, uh, but some of them I change the names on them. I I tell the story of this guy. Uh, I think I make up his name as Tom, but I don't say that in the book. Where where I I talk about Tom, uh, who who went to uh, a a Christian leader about things in his life, and and the Christian re- leader received it badly. That little story is my story. I just know what it's like to be. Um, I'm really reluctant to go into any details. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it just. At this point in my life, it's still not wise. And I think that's actually true of a lot of our, our, our suffering. There's a lot of it that for one reason or, or, or another, others can't. I mean, even if you were to tell them, they would struggle uh, grasping what you're going through. You know, the, the Proverbs about every, you know, only the heart knows its own bitterness without being too melodramatic. The, there is a sense that only God really knows the depths of some of the suffering that, that he leads us to. Uh, I, I know that's true, you know, having a daughter with some pretty sig- significant disabilities uh, was suffering for both my wife and I, but I would still say there are parts to that that I will maybe never know with what it was for Jill as a mom. 
my wife to to uh, to suffer. It uh, it was just more more poignant for her. Paul, it sounds like too what you're saying in some ways is, and I really I think you can see this in the the book of Ruth is that um, just as only God knows some of the suffering that we go through, that God also ministers to us uniquely in that suffering in ways that others can't experience, or not that they can't experience, but that they won't understand and haven't experienced until they maybe go right. through something similar. Right. And the, one of the images I use for that in the book is uh, the chapter on what I call the J-curve. And, and if you think of the letter J, it traces Jesus a lot, you know, his life downward into death and then up into resurrection. And it's, it's one of the sub points of this book is that at the bottom of the J curve, uh, it, it, you know, in that process of dying is where we get to know God in ways that you would never get to know him simply by reading, studying and discipling that, that, that there's a knowledge of God that you get in suffering uh, and enduring in the suffering, as long as you don't take the road, you know, the exits of bitterness uh, or flight uh, or, you know, just any, there's so many different, you know, gossip, uh, you know, all those are. And, and again, depends on the nature of the suffering itself. Uh, but uh, that, that there's a way to get to know that you get to know God in ways you never would have otherwise. And particularly like I think of. Philippians 3, uh, 10 and 11, where Paul says, if I can get it, uh, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, uh, so that somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that Paul's tracing the J-curve, and he's saying that there is a way that I get to know Christ by participating in his dying and resurrection. Uh, One of the things, that... Paul, that I'm, I'm thinking about as you're talking is, is and this, this connects back to this theme of love, and it's a great, it's a great leadership lesson, a, a leadership example. So, so you have a situation where you, you've walked through a very hard situation in ministry, and you feel like right now it, that it's not wise and it's not God honoring for you to talk about it. That it's uh, you, you. Maybe you haven't processed through it. Maybe there's more that you feel like Jesus wants to reveal that to you. But you know that can move against the instincts that a lot of people have to immediately want to share their story in the in the name of authenticity or in the name right. of vindication. And so, why don't you talk a little bit about how this theme of love influences? the way that you are responding to what 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 you probably feel like is is having been sinned against and you know you're not god so you don't know definitively all the ways you were sinned against and maybe it says more about you than them whatever but you know that's that sense where you feel sinned against but you're not responding you're not talking and talk about how love is influencing you know, can your I, course can i can uh, i uh, can i answer your question slightly in a slightly different way and, sure. uh, and to answer it by describing what the change that it produced in my life, going back to this idea of the J-curve, I, I forget what chapter that is, chapter 8 or something. It's the chapter death, the center of love. I'm going to talk about what it produces in my life. 
And let me give you a story from the book that 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 just to refresh your memory. Um, and, uh, and and it's these little mundane stories. I always prefer mundane stories. But uh, we we you know in in my family we were not a humble family. God gifted us a lot, but humility wasn't one of them. I'm not sure that that gift is a real common gift. But um, I, 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 it was a particular problem I had. Let me put it that way. And so going through this uh, a baptism of suffering, and of course that's one of, you know, uh, Jesus and Paul used baptism as a metaphor for this Jacob, the dying and rising of Jesus. It just, it just, it just makes you scared of yourself because you, uh, you know, if you receive the suffering from God, then it just strips you of pride. Having other people take credit for your ideas to other people ignore you or shun you or slander you and to endure in love with those people it just it just kills your ego so you become much more sensitized to so your soul becomes much more sensitized to the particular temptations of ego so here's an example from the book what does that look like what does the fruit of that look like i did a uh, a, a praying life seminar a couple years ago uh, it was uh, in Philly, and there were about 800 people there. And as I was preparing for it during the week, I I began to feel uh, the like they talked about a green room for me. I had no idea what a green room is, so I looked it up on Google. Okay, so you know if you're an important person, <laughs> you they they give you a room to um, uh, to 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 kind of be be quiet in. It's a very you know it's a very gracious thing to do, but I found myself uh, the, I found myself eating the feeling the temptation of becoming a prayer expert and a prayer professional, and that just is toxic to my soul. But you can see the pride in that, you know, or a prayer expert celebrity, and uh, the the uh, so so as I went to the seminar. This was really much on my heart, and I even thought, how, how, how can I keep that from, uh, how can I defang that in my own heart? And there were two things. One I did, one God did for me. Uh, one was I thought, you know what, to keep me from be becoming a prayer expert, I tell stories of Kim in the book, and it was in Philly. So I brought Kim with me, and I interviewed her up on stage, and she's got autism and a bunch of other things. and. You know, it was just delightful, but it kept it from becoming, they could see me as a real person, as a father with his daughter, uh, just caring for her. And she didn't do what I wanted. And it just, you know, so that was okay. You, you know, it kept me, it kept me from becoming, I, you know, I, I was, a, I was fearful of what celebrity status would do to my heart. And then at the end, there was a line of about 30 people just uh, wanted to talk. And, you know, after seven hours, I, I, you're, you're tired. And I just thought this line is a gift of God to draw me out of thinking that I'm important. And I can value, I can take time with every person and value them. So uh, to be attentive to every person and listen with them and pray for them as needed uh, was just it, it was God balancing out my soul. Does that make sense? It's mm -hmm. a silly kind of example, but it's my specialty. No, I think oh. it's you know it it's it's a great example of how in the routines of 
of ministry, you're, you know, you're paying attention to some of these smaller things and the, and the spirit's activity, and and then the own, the leanings of your own soul, and where you might yeah. get, in, where it might incite temptation or or sin. Yes. Yeah. And let me give you another example. I don't think this is in the book, but uh, it's, um, it happened more recently than that, but. It just did. I mean, these are just sort of normal things in, in, in everyday ministry. But I was in uh, Memphis doing a praying life seminar. There are about 300 people there and we do it interactively. And we have people with mics, like three people with mics that uh, I sort of semi point to around to the congregation. And uh, one of the uh, and I have open questions that I give out and people respond. And one of the people with mics kept going back to the same person. And this person was kind of giving us some of their life story and uh, and you could see that there were some you know some mild <clears throat> mild needs there <clears throat> and um and and it also took time away from the seminar i don't know how much this person talked but it might have been 10 minutes between the three different times the person went to this person with a mic which is a, a little chunk of time and the pastor, one of the associate pastors, came to me at the first break and said, I'm sorry about what happened uh, with that person. I've talked to them. I've talked to the person with a mic, and it won't happen again. And I was thankful for what that person did. But I said to the, the pastor, I said, you know, it's not bad for them to see me listening to this person. And what was actually happening in that, just in that little mini thing was, I, as soon as I realized what was going on, I found my spirit, I could feel my spirit getting restless, and I didn't want to listen to them, and uh, it, it was a woman, and I didn't want to listen to her, and I, so I had to pray, it was like a little test God was giving me, I had to pray because I could feel my own spirit uh, wanting to keep the agenda of the seminar moving as opposed to loving this woman and paying attention to her comments mm. and valuing her as a person. So I got to display Jesus to 300 people by listening to someone. And I don't know if they noticed it, but uh, it, it, so in other words, I immediately recognized this as a fellowship of his sufferings. And I received it, and then, and what, and my main move, my 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 first move in any kind of fellowship of sufferings is prayer, because I can't do this. So I get to reveal Jesus by my patience, mm -hmm. and display love, and display love in a very uh, simple way. That, that's not very complicated. You know, one of the things I think about Paul when I think about this theme of of love and even in the illustration that you just gave, is that when, when we think about qualities of leadership, you know, we don't tend to gravitate towards love as being all that important. We think about courage and strength and character. And uh, I mean, you know, in the Reformed world, I think discernment is a big one there. But we rarely think or talk about love. I mean, I, as I think about themes that I've preached on over the years, I think that has been a, relative to what, relative to the accent that scripture puts on it, I think it's been a real omission in my own preaching. And I, and I don't know that my preaching is much different than 
other Reformed preachers that are emerging and have emerged out of seminaries. Um, so why don't why don't leaders emphasize love the way Scripture does? You know, I think some of it goes back to, uh, you know, obviously some of it's the human heart. But, uh, and, and again, everything at some level traces back to the heart. But it, with the Reformation heritage itself, uh, you know, the, the medieval problem was that uh, they had mixed faith and love up. So on the beginning of the Christian journey, your effort was combined with Jesus' effort, which is another way of saying love and faith were mixed together. And and Luther's brilliance was to rediscover that you don't begin with our love, you begin with God's love for us. And, you know, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son uh, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So justification by faith solved the medieval problem of how do we begin the Christian life? How do you start every day? You know, do you begin with your energy or God's in? You know, and God's love or your love? And 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 justification by faith is no. We 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 begin with God's act towards us. But there was a tendency in the Reformation to, even though they would all affirm love, to actually be skittish about there there there's a skittishness, in, particularly in the reform world, about moralism because you don't want to undermine justification by faith. And Luther even has a, I mean, Luther writes on almost every topic, on every side of the topic. But in Bent, in his general Bent, was law and gospel was so dominant, it he almost presumed that faith would just sort of naturally ooze out of the life. And of course, Calvin is more balanced than that. But still, there's this there, there's a tendency to undervalue love. Let me put it another way. In the reform world, we're much better at the negative than the positive. So we're, we're good at describing what's, uh, we're, we're, we're good at the idol hunt, and I think that's very, very important. I, I'm not uh, denigrating that one bit. But, but we're not very good at stating what is this thing we're moving towards, and there's even a nervousness, particularly in the reform world, about the whole idea of the imitation of Jesus. And some of that also comes out of a reaction to pietism, which kind of does it sort of in a superficial way, WWJD, you know. Uh, and also, a set, you know, liberalism kind of ran away with the person of Jesus. So and, and, and made the imitation of Jesus kind of front and center. So I call it a triple squeamishness in the reform world about making love front and center. Does that make any sense? Paul, let me ask it something else too, and, and I'd love to hear your comments on this too, Dave. It seems like another reason maybe that in the reformed world we're so, um, we can be so, uh, the subject of love can be so vacant from what we say is that uh, one thing, and this goes back to what you stated, but one thing that we're, we emphasize very much is protecting sound doctrine and it seems like oftentimes we we protect sound doctrine at the expense of actually loving the people we're protecting it against um where we we get so ambitious about protecting sound doctrine that we neglect the loving part of the christian life and so it seems like 
what you see today is you see a lot of a lot of this is more than liberalism, but you see people sort of hijacking the word love and and basically divorcing it from following God. And so as a response, we right. emphasize very much. Well, we emphasize the doctrinal part. You can't follow God without doctrine, but then we neglect love. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, let me just restate it in a different way. Uh, that there's a there's a problem with our epistemology. It's it's a bit too modernistic, you know, in the sense of modern. Um, it, 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 it's a bit too, uh, I would call it bad rationalism or a tendency to bad rationalism. And 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 what do I mean by epistemology? Go back to that uh, Philippians three passage that I quoted. Yeah. Philippians, you know, about knowing Christ in the fellowship of His suffering. Verse 9, right before that, is a terrific justification, reformation verse on Paul says, I, you know, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So we have a lot of, uh, and then Paul says, and he's used the word know twice. So the passage is on the theory of knowledge, on epistemology, and um and we freeze, the Reformation freezes at the end of verse 9. So we, we grant that kind of knowledge, justification by faith, but we don't grant the second kind of knowledge. of a, uh, And I would call both of them a, a way of participating in Christ. And we like the first participa- participation, but not the second. We actually don't, don't have any category for it. So we don't have any. We, we, we really don't have a a gospel structure for love. So and and um, and and this whole idea of a fellowship of his sufferings. I, I know we're, we're supposed to be talking about the Book of Ruth, but this, this is all in this one chapter in the Book of Ruth, Death, the Center of Love, uh, Chapter Five. It is. I mean, the the book on loving life, uh, but the. If you look at all the Reformed catechisms, which I love, Heidelberg, uh, Lutheran, and the and the Westminster, they, they essentially begin with God and knowledge of God, and or in general, that's kind of what they're like. And then they talk about the wonder of the gospel. And then when they talk about the Christian life, they tend to do the Ten Commandments. Now, Lord knows we need to study the Ten Commandments. I mean, I, I'm not denigrating that, but it, it's... It's kind of like that's what that's the first move you make when you think about what does it mean to follow Jesus. So the the dominance that love has, love is not unpacked. We have very few systematic studies of love, and you can study love systematically, but we 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 there's very little of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's the. Uh... I mean, I, one of the things that affected me about your book was how it pushed to unpack love and unzip, <laughs> unzip me and in areas where I lacked love or had opportunities to apply love and didn't. Yes. And then, you know, in, invited me to do so. But, it, you know, it, in doing that, it just made me realize how much the application of love is uh, is not necessarily a category that we're we're trafficking in. Yeah, and can I tell you another story? Bear with me. These are all seminar stories for some reason today. Uh, but um, it, I, I, I want to stay with the spirit of what you're doing. Is it okay if I st- tell another story? Sure. Just to get... I did a seminar at a very, very prominent church. 
and um, uh, the um, and it was the hard, this is a praying life seminar, and it was one of the hardest seminars I ever did. And the reason it was hard is because we do it interactively, and uh, no one was interacting, and they weren't interacting because about a third of it was the leadership team, about forty-five people, and uh, uh, and they weren't interacting because about a quarter of them were openly on their um, their iPhones or Androids or iPads, and it's really hard to do an interactive discussion. Um, with that, in that kind of, mm-hmm. it was so bad. We, it was a Friday night and a Saturday morning that the um, executive pastor came to me the next day and said, "Can we? Can, can I talk to them about putting their phones away?" I said, "Yeah, please do." And anyway, we were debriefing on it that night. Uh, one of our staff was with me. This is the Friday night, and the staff member was just flabbergasted at it. It was just like, huh? You know why? Why are they doing this? And um, and I said I, I said to him, it's, I was laughing. I said it's really not that complicated. They just they viewed me as lower than they were. So you know, if you were to imagine a um, like a slide, I, I call it like a failure boasting chart, where boasting is at the top and failures at the bottom. They viewed me below them, so they were relating to me out of a function of that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, 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 they just they didn't think what I either I or what I was saying was that valuable, or what they were doing was more valuable. And again, it wasn't true of all of them, but it was a, it was de- de- you know definitely a tone. So that was their grid for me. And usually what happens when we get when we're, we're working with someone who has that grid for us, we recoil from that grid. And, and in some ways, rightly so, because that's not right when people do that for us. But think of this idea from Chapter five of, of the J curve that it, it, it is a uh, and, and this is what I was doing up front. I knew immediately I was in a participation of his sufferings. So what do I do when I'm in that? What and and what do I what was I feeling? I was feeling powerless. I I'd done this seminar a hundred times and I don't know how to do it with people who won't pay attention. And I I had to pray. So here I am in a prayer seminar. I'm a prayer expert. I don't know what to do. And what does it mean to be a prayer expert? It means to be an expert at not knowing that you can't do life on your own. And so I'm forced into fellowship with God. And that allows me to be patient with them and to pray my way through it. And and so out of me comes love as opposed to judgment. Yeah, not, not knowing what you're supposed to do brings up a, uh, a point that you make in the book where you, you talk about how, how faith grows in the rich soil of ambiguity, I think is yeah. the way you say it, and, and that... Uh, and, and then you encourage the reader, don't don't put a, a lot of your energy into ordering what you can't control, simply love in the disorder. And I was yeah. I, I was thinking about that idea of of ambiguity and loving in the disorder. And, and I was thinking, Paul, like, you know, that's really hard work for leaders because leaders feel called and feel responsible to bring clarity, you know, to interpret, to provide direction, to to try to um, reduce, if not eliminate, ambiguity. So, h- how has God taught you to harmonize, 
you know, the, the need for clarity with the need to allow for ambiguity? Well, the thing I don't mention or the person I don't mention there is uh, the spirit. And uh, so I, I've come to know that the spirit just thrives in ambiguity. And ambiguity shuts me down and opens space up for the spirit. So, you know, you can't say everything in a book. I, I really think the whole thing on leadership is, is pretty overblown in the church. And I think it actually comes out of the churches, out of the whole problem with the celebrity culture within evangelicalism. Thank God we did this. So, be, be, so understand what I'm doing, that when we replace the mass with the preaching of the word, and, you know, thank God we made that move, but it had an effect of Jesus getting becoming more peripheral and the pastor becoming important. And, and that's not an original thought from me. Some other scholar mentioned that link. That, that that created the celebrity culture within evangelicalism. We, we have over high expectations of leaders and leaders, and we overvalue the importance of leaders. That's what makes Paul's gifting, Paul's um, uh, gift things in, in Corinth are really striking because they're very alien to how, how institutions do uh, look at people. Because it's flat. Usually in an institution, the, the two critical things are wealthy people and people with strong leadership gifts. Because if you can get those things working in harmony together, you can build big churches and, and strong communication gifts. And Paul's gifting is very flat. So some of it is there. there's something wrong with how we even view leadership at the DNA level. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that is a <laughs> that's a theme that I would love to explore in a whole other in a whole other podcast right. with you because I think the idea of of leadership and uh, as it relates to what the New Testament examples were and where the New Testament bar was set and the difference uh, that exists today and what kind of trajectory that sets us on is a really profound thing to to talk about and think about and and to have ideas on because it it's going to shape what you're aiming at as a leader and it's going to shape right. what you're attempting to build as a leader. Right. Right. Yeah. Paul, any any books in the works right now? Uh, believe it or not, I'm writing a book on the J curve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that's okay, so good. That's why it's uh, so, so present in your mind right now. Yeah, that's why it's so present in my mind. So you you tap me, and out comes this whole idea of the J curve. When but will it, it be released? Uh, oh, I'm just writing. I write Bible studies first. I love writing interactive Bible studies, and I if I can give a plug for C Jesus on our website, cjesus.net. We, we have a number of interactive Bible studies that we do all over the world. And it is, it, it, they, everything we do goes against the grain of American culture because American culture would much prefer to plug in a video uh, and have an expert speak and, uh, and not have to think. And our, our Bible studies really help people to think, really grapple with scripture and grapple with a text. So behind a loving life is a Bible study called the A Loving Life Bible Study. 
and and that and so and and the nice thing about that is I get to I teach the studies myself before I write the book, so I get to do it with an audience, and that provides more depth when I actually get to the book because I've really I've watched people grapple with the you know I, I I can see what is touching people's souls. And, and if folks want to see these Bible studies, uh, they, they can go to the cjesus.net site and they're available right. there? Yep, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us and, and thank you for your vision to serve the body of Christ through your writing gift and through the ministry of See Jesus. Well, it was uh, good to be with you guys and, and thank you for that and and trust the Lord bless you and your work as well. Stephen, always good to have you here, man. Great to be here. This has been the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. And if you're interested in more podcasts with folks like, well, Andy Crouch or Colin Hansen, Russ Moore, Randy Alcorn, folks like that, just go to amicalled.com. And uh, if you're going to go, remember to check out the, the, the course, the online course that's there as well. Thanks for joining us today at the Am I Called podcast.